In the last episode, we examined the four different types of teams with teams expert Susan Gerke. Today, she's back to help us discover how to maximize team performance. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 139. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And if you are joining the show for the first time, welcome. This is the resource for you on how to get better at working with people and organizations. And on last week's episode, Susan Gerke was here to talk about the four unique types of teams. And we talked in some detail about different kinds of teams and organizations and what works well and some roles and what works better in others and depending on what the organization's trying to do. Um, and I am so glad that Susan is back this week to walk us through the four stages of team development. And once you know what kind of team you want to have in your organization and what's going to serve your organization's goal the best, of course, you want to be able to do some work around developing that team. And Susan is a consultant and trainer. She has been doing this for over 20 years uh, of helping teams to work together more effectively. She has an entire curriculum built called uh, Go Team uh, that is really designed to help teams to be able to work together even more effectively. Susan, I am so glad that you're back. Thanks for making the time to come back again this week. I appreciate you having me, Dave. I am thrilled to have you. And, uh, you know, we talked last week about the four uh, different types of teams. Um, but regardless of what those four, what type of team you are, um, every team goes through this these stages of team development. And so knowing what the stages are is is important. And I think a lot of people have heard this model before. Yes. Um, and so the, the language is going to be familiar. So um, I'm going to really encourage if you've heard this model before is to um, is to try to uh, uh, calm your uh, or what's the word I'm looking for is to try to resist the temptation to tune out on it and think like, OK, I've heard that, you know, the forming, storming, norming. A lot of people have heard that. Yeah. Um, what often has not talked about, though, is, OK, what do you need to do at each of those stages as a team member? As a leader, if it doesn't go well, what's going to happen? And how do you handle conflict at those stages? What do you do when people and team members change? That's the kind of thing when I when we talk about people with that uh, that are in those situations, Susan. A lot of times, people aren't really savvy on what to do, especially leaders of teams. And so, I, we really wanted to focus on that today. But but we should start off and talk through the four stages of team development first, and then look at what a leader should do and what different team members should do at those stages. So so let's first of all uh, give credit where credit's due to uh, Bruce Tuckman, who was the person where this model came from originally back back in the 60s, right? Yeah, it's been around a long time. And so um, could you, uh, Susan, just kind of walk us through the these four stages and generally what are what are the kind of the four stages that teams do tend to tend to follow? Yeah, happy to do that, Dave. So so the first stage is called forming. How, how practical is that? And, and just in your mind's eye for a moment, just think about when you're on a new team and you're in the very first meeting, what's going through your head? 
And I tell you, when I ask people that question, they say things like, what are we here for? Mm-hmm. How am I going to be contributing? Who are these other guys? Am I going to like them? Do I want to work with them? Who is this leader? It's uh, lots of questions about what's going to be happening. And you know what? Not a single one of those comes up. People are very polite, looking around, just hoping all of those questions will be answered. And and my experience is a lot of times they aren't. <laughs> no, that's exactly why I have a living at this. <laughs> yes, you do. So so that's that's kind of stage one is yes. trying to trying to figure that out. Um, you know, where are we going? What am I doing yep. here? How am I going to be measured on my success? What's yep. everyone else going to be doing? Okay, so that makes sense. So um, so stage two then is what is is been called storming. Yes. So how is that different than the forming stage? Yeah, so the, the storm, if you will, or the storming stage is when we begin to move beyond some of those why are we here questions, but we start to have some um, concerns about how we're doing things. Uh, we're not making a lot of progress usually yet. There's some competing for power, competing for attention. Um, sometimes if you're if your team or group is too big, we start forming subgroups or cliques. Uh, we start creating scapegoats or blaming people for what's going on. Mm. Um, and so it can be a really challenging time. And this is the time that a lot of teams do really struggle. Yes. And and we'll talk about this more, I think, a little later of what... Um, some teams never move beyond this. Yeah, it? it's really sad. <laughs> and in fact, a lot of teams, I think we could even say, don't get beyond this point, but they think that they have. Yeah, they, yes. <laughs> they, they just self-describe differently until you really bring this forward to them and they begin to realize they've never gotten past this. Got it. So, so we'll talk more about that yep. later. Um, uh, the third stage is norming. So what, what does that mean? Uh, to me, I like to think of it's, it when things become normal or normal for this team. And so we've, we've learned who does what. We've figured out how to resolve our conflicts. We you know, we're making stuff happen. Work's getting done. Things are happening and people are feeling pretty good about it. Got it. Got it. And then the final stage is performing. Um, and so norming sounds like, you know, the team is getting productive, doing things. How's, how's performing different? Is it just the level of, of performance, the quality performance that's different? Or Yeah. You, you know, you think about... Um, People talk about high performance. That's what this is. You think about the synergy that you'll see in a team where you get that one plus one equals three, where the, where the team's doing stuff that even blows them away, that they're surprised at the amazing uh, things that they can produce together. Um, if you ever think about the very best team experience you ever had, it's that, right? Mm. We're, we're working on all levels. We've got great relationships with each other and we just, nothing can stop us. That's where we all like to be as yeah. far as, uh, as teams. And of course, you and I know very few teams actually do get to that point truly. Um, so one of the ways that we can make it more likely as an organization, as a team to get there is to recognize what kinds of things that we should be doing at each stage, yes. whether we're the leader of the team or uh, we're a participating member of the team. And I think that that pretty much is going to um, include everyone who's a part of our community here because we all are at the very least a member of a team, uh, almost in every organization. Uh, and many of us in, in this community are leading teams too. And so um, I, let's, let's look back here. So we've got our four, forming, storming, norming, performing. But let's now look back at these in some detail and talk through, you know, what are some right. of the issues at each of these stages? 
what should a team member do? What should a leader do? So let's start with forming. You know that 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 question asking period of you know what what am I here for? What are we doing um, to get to that point where we really do have some of those productive yeah. conversations, Susan? So what are the issues that come up here? So so my experience is in a forming team, a couple of the biggest issues are role definition. You know who really is doing what. Uh, we often make assumptions about that. Um, and purpose clarification. Why, why have we been brought together as a team? We, we think we know, but when we don't articulate it, people still are wondering. Um, there, there's an underlying concern about inclusion. Will I be included? Do I want to include others? Um, so you begin to see, as you listen to me talking about this, Dave, there, some of these are more task-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. What's our roles and how are we going to do our work and you know why are we really here? And some of them are more relationship-oriented. Will I be included? Do I want to be included? Am I going to be inclusive of others? Will we be able to build trust together? Am I going to be able to trust these guys? So in each stage, you'll find there's some things that are more about the work itself and some things that are more about the interpersonal side of things. And, and we need to pay attention to both. So, so having that, um, having that understanding, that appreciation for both the task and the relationship piece is, is critical. Absolutely. Okay. Got it. Got it. How about, um, if I'm a, cause I know all of us have been in this situation. Um, I'm a member of a team. We're getting together for the first time. What are the kinds of things that I should be thinking about doing, saying, maybe even not saying that would help my team to move along toward this? Well, hopefully your leader's going to guide you through the right conversations, but he or she doesn't always do that. And so you probably need to ask about, you know, can we just spend a minute and get clear about what the goal is? Or, you know, it would help me to know what the expectation is of why I'm here. Could we go around and find out what everybody's roles are? Or even to say, let's get to know each other a little bit. You know, what do we each bring to the table? What do we love to do? That kind of thing. And so um, it's not often easy for team members to bring those things up, but what the members need to be doing is participating in role definition and goal definition and getting to know one another and doing that real relationship building as well. And I've seen situations before where um, someone who's not a leader of a team has had the courage to say something like that. And it really has changed the conversation. And the leader has been very open to then. Oh, yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah. And so as long as they ask it as a question and don't take over, (laughs) Mm, they say, okay, I know how to do this. We ought to jump on board. We ought to do this and this and this. That might be threatening to the leader and or have people going, okay, now we know who thinks they're in charge around here. So... So there's nice ways we can do that. Got it. So that's where our human relations skills <laughs> exactly. come in from <laughs> all our Dale Carnegie skills. Okay, exactly. good, good. Perfect. Um, so the leader, of course, assuming we are leading the team, yeah. we really do want to have thought through some of this. And yeah. what, are, what are the kinds of things that a leader, if they're have really handling this effectively, Susan, really should be asking and, and spending time on? Well, and you know, one of the very first things, the leader's got to be the one who schedules the meetings. And it's going to run the meetings. The leader's more more hands-on in this stage than any of the stages because the team's not ready to do that for themselves. I don't care. You've been on a team before. I've been on a team. Everybody's been on teams before, but we haven't been on this team with this set of people. And we're looking to the leader to get us started. So tell us when the first meeting is and have a good agenda for us that should be talking about what are our goals and, and whether we're participating in that or they're being handed to us, what are our objectives? They might be handed to us. So clarifying our purpose, spending some time on those, what are our tasks and what are the roles? 
And so the leader really guiding that. During, the, during this forming stage, the leader's going to be making the decisions. Even if he's asking for input from people, he or she's going to have to be making the decisions. Um, and this is the person who's going to be giving feedback to people. People aren't ready to give or hear feedback from peers. And so if there's some feedback to be given, that's the leader's responsibility. And I, um, I wanted to come back to something you mentioned a, bit, a minute ago of, you know, whether we're creating the goals or they've been handed to us, uh, that's one of the things I think that is helpful a lot of times in these conversations is, you know, what is negotiable and what isn't, you know? That's right. Sometimes teams are given a, a statement of work or goals and saying, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> and and the team then spends a whole bunch of time talking about, oh, should we do this? Should we do that? And it's, a, it's already a non-negotiable. So those kinds of things, clarifying that up front can be really helpful. Of like, yes. okay, this is what we have to do. Now let's figure out what we need to do to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Good. So uh, let's, so, so at that first stage, hopefully some of that is happening. Um, at the storming stage, what are the kinds of things, if I'm a member of a team and I'm, I'm either knowing that we're going to go through this stage or I, or I feel like I'm there now, or maybe even part of a team that that's there now, what do, what should I be doing, thinking about wanting to, um, wanting to take action on in order to help a team work through that? Well, part of what needs to happen at this point is often team members have to develop some skills. As now that we've identified in the forming stage who's doing what, I might need to build some more of my skills. So there might be some training needed. Uh, we definitely need to be talking about how we're going to do the work. Maybe I've done this before and you've done this before, but you have a different way from me. So we're going to have to begin to get those ideas on the table and decide how are we going to do this work together. That, probably need some facilitation from the leader to do that. But those are the things we have to be talking about um, so that we're not making a lot of assumptions. Um, it's really valuable for the group to begin to talk about how we're different from one another as well as how we're similar. You might use the strengths finder at this point to have people understand more about their strengths if you didn't do that at the forming stage or spend some time on personality differences or those kinds of things so that we begin to recognize the value of differences versus having those differences cause us to separate. The propensity at this stage is so easy to end up in conflict or power struggles uh, we need to recognize that and focus on how can we work together. And it sounds like a, a big, a good checkpoint for us is not to make assumptions here, because if we make assumptions, we assume so and so is doing it this way, I'm doing it that yeah. way. That 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 really is a stopping point as far as people communicating yeah. and getting beyond this stage. Yeah. So communication and establishing how we do that and when we do that really important at this stage. From a leadership standpoint, how can I facilitate? Um, my team, lead my team through this stage and, and not try to skip it because it's an important stage, but but to help people work through it. Yeah, you, you might think you're skipping it. You're not. <laughs> One of the things that I've found that leaders don't always recognize is they're going to have to facilitate the conflict resolution. Um, it may be that you're good at conflict resolution and I am, Dave, but if we're having a conflict in this team for the first time, we may not know how to do it with each other. We're not trusting of each other yet. We haven't really gotten the relationship to that point. So the leader's got to manage the conflicts. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of them actually step back. Um, got to facilitate and encourage that two-way communication. There's an interesting phenomena that can happen at this stage, and the leader better be paying attention. And that is some people, this is when people are likely to decide, am I in or out? And while I might physically be on this team, I'm not, I might be choosing to not mentally be engaged and involved in this team. Uh -huh. 
I had a personal example. I was on a team that we went through a very difficult storming stage. Uh, you know, we had an outside facilitator help us through because we just were having so many problems. And we actually got through it and became a high-performing team. It was my first high-performing team. It was fabulous, fabulous experience. Mm-hmm. And then as luck would have it, we went through a reorganization and that team got blown up. And suddenly I was on another team and there was a guy on that team and I thought, oh no, here we go again. And I was still a little raw from all the feedback I'd gotten and what I'd learned about myself in that previous experience. And I thought, I'm not ready to go through this again. And so I decided I wasn't going to engage or try and figure out how to work with this guy. So my commitment level was pretty low. Now, the good news is before my boss really caught on, we went through another really quick reorg and so I didn't have to work with that guy. But it was... My leader needed to be watching for engagement and commitment. It's at highest risk at this stage when people are saying, is it worth it to try and work with these idiots is what some of us are thinking, right? Um, Am I going to try and figure this out? So really critical element for leaders at the storming stage is to think about, is everybody committed or how do I have the conversations individually with people about that? So the ability for the leader to have the... Uh, and I'm going to use the word courage, Susan, because I think a lot of times this this, yeah. this is really courage to engage in some of those difficult conversations yeah. um, really does make the difference between whether people just uh, feel like um, they have to do kind of compliance oriented things or the, whether they're really enthusiastically yeah. engaged in what they're doing. Exactly. Mm. Okay. Um, And just a couple of the other things. The leader also really needs to be facilitating decision-making, but also probably be the ultimate decider. You know, we get this, oh, teams should all be making decisions by consensus. That's not true. And and storming teams generally are unable to effectively make consensus decisions. And so while the leader can gather input from everybody and have them building off one another's ideas, in the end, the leader probably needs to hold the, okay, and I'm going to make the decision and here's what it's going to be, even if it's what the group might have decided. So it's a learning ground, storming is, for how can the team make decisions, but the leader's going to have to really drive that and hold that pretty closely in most situations. So if we do that well and navigate through it, we end up at the norming stage. Exactly. So how does it change now for me as a team member when we've gone through this storming stage and we've emerged from it? What's different now for me as an individual contributor to this team? What do I want to be doing, thinking about, saying, not saying? Well, it, it's time to step up and really do what the group has agreed to. So to participate in decision-making and to do the conflict resolution. Conflict doesn't go away just because we're a norming team. The differences in the conflicts are rich and important in a team. It's just we all need to step up and and manage it. Mm. And we've learned that, hopefully, in the storming stage. And so it, it's on each of us to manage the conflicts, make the decisions, give our partners feedback, to share our opinions about things, um, and so on. Um, it's important. What's a couple of things that are a risk, actually, at this stage. Sometimes the leader holds on too long. There's a lot of hands-on informing and storming with the leader, and some leaders actually like being hands-on. Mm-hmm. If you do that at this point, you're risking the team mutinying on you almost because the team now is learning and has learned how to make decisions and and move forward together. And if you're sticking your fingers in all the time, they're not going to be happy. So this is a point as a leader where I may need to let go a little bit and let people to have some conflict on their own or to figure out things a little bit more. Um, 
how do you know when to do that? Is it is it an art? Are there indicators for leaders? Uh, what it, what are what are some of the common things that get people in trouble here, Susan? It, it's probably an art. Although one of the things I always say you need to be, do more of at the norming stage is examine the team's functioning, and so you you need to have regular times that we just step back and say. How are we working together? Is our decision-making process working? Are we managing our conflicts okay? Are we giving each other and listening to the feedback that we each have for each other? Um, are our processes working okay? So notice some of this is really relationship-oriented, mm-hmm. but some of it de- definitely is around the task as well. And so as a leader, you can pay attention, guide those conversations, be sure the team's having them, and you'll begin to see them mature and be more and more ready to take this on themselves. They, they really ought to be sharing leadership at this point. Instead of you being the leadership focal point, the leadership ought to move around the team based on uh, what the team needs at the moment. It might shift three times in a day or in a meeting, actually, but we we need to begin to recognize that we're all leaders here, and we need to be able to step up and do those things that, that the team needs. Fabulous. So if uh, we get to this point of performing, which is a really cool place to be. Okay, so I want to, I want to take you back to, to oh, Norman oh, just okay. one more minute, oh, sure, if sure. I could. Because one of the other big risks... Um, in teams in general, but I find it's more common in norming is the risk of groupthink. And groupthink is that propensity for us to all just go along with an idea without maybe examining it. And so we can end up with mediocre results because we didn't explore options. Um, It happens sometimes, if we've had a particularly difficult storming time, we might move into groupthink because we're afraid to rock the boat. So when you say, hey, let's do X, we all just say, okay, let's just do X, right? We don't want to get into a conversation about, oh, what if we did Y? And gee, that might create conflict. So sometimes it's just a fear of falling back to conflict. Sometimes it's a, um, we begin to think we're fabulous. Look at us, look at how great we are. We just did that thing and it turned out so well. So we must be so fabulous. So any decision we make must be a fabulous decision. And so somebody throws out an idea, hey, look at that's coming out of our group. It must be great. And we just go with it. Um, so there's there's other reasons as well. Group thinks a whole study all by itself. But the risk is highest, I find, at the norming stage, either because we move into that complacency place or it's the fear of falling back into storming. So a really critical um role I think for the leader is to pay attention to that and either bring in outside uh, resources to examine what the group's doing you know I was in a team where we just once a month we brought in somebody else from the organization to look at the work we'd been doing to give us some feedback and so on to be sure we weren't going astray Um, or the other thing is when the group's working and says okay well here's an idea that the leader ought to say before the group jumps all over it, say, okay, that's one idea. Let's get at least three more on the table before we decide. Mm. So, so the leader really can play a more facilitative role at this point. Interesting. And, and it is, uh, that is a real challenge, I know, in some organizations that kind of fall into that groupthink mentality. And in some situations, it, it can almost be a disservice. It'd almost be better if the group had stormed and not continued than, than, than get consensus on a decision that's not a good decision, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, so how about performing? So performing, there and- you know, isn't performing wonderful. That, but there's a couple of interesting challenges that happen here. You know, it's hard to maintain the momentum at that level. That's what I was thinking because, you know, you get to that point and it, that's a great place to be and a lot of teams never get there. But you do have to 
be diligent to stay there. Yeah, te- teams, when I ask people about this best team, what this looks like for them, this high performance team, they'll always say, God, we had a lot of fun and we worked really hard. So it's hard to maintain that that level of momentum. So you do need to take some time out and look at how's the team doing and, and be sure everybody's feeling great. The other interesting phenomena is you tend to be envied by other teams um, in a way that they think, oh, well, you guys got all the great resources. You No wonder you're doing well. Anybody could do well if you had, you know, that person or this resource and so on. So, so we have to be aware that other teams might be envious of us, and yet we need to be big enough to say, hey, we maybe we've learned some stuff. We should be helping other teams. Hmm. And so it's a time to start reaching outside of our own team and being a resource to other teams as well. The leader role, I think, is the interesting piece here because, you know, what's my job leading this group of people who are doing this amazing stuff? And what I've found is um, a couple of things. Sometimes the leader just actually gets integrated into the team and acts almost like a member, takes on some of the work. Um, or the, the leader's even more distant from the team and really just provides a link to the larger organization, participates in not very many of their meetings, not involved in a lot of their decision-making and so on, but is just there to be sure um, he or she is feeding information to the team about what's going on at a larger level that they might not be aware of. So it's a very hands-off place, and, and I think the teams that really succeed in getting there um, have a good conversation about what's the leader's role now. Oh, interesting. So it may be different depending on what the team really needs and wants going forward. Hmm. Fascinating. So, you know, I I can't help but think, you know, uh, one of the biggest challenge stages, of course, for teams is the storming stage, I would imagine, right? It is. So uh, let's go back and let's examine that just a little bit more, if if that's okay. Um, Because I think that, you know, the, there's a, there's a lot of things that can happen at that stage that maybe, means that the team progresses or the team doesn't or maybe thinks they've progressed but haven't. And I know you've done a lot of thinking around this and helping teams to kind of work through that storming stage. And that yeah. tends to be a really critical point. So I'm wondering if we could say a little bit more about that, about what what should we do, think about, you know, what are maybe some of the ways teams tend to go in those situations? Yeah. So so no surprise, I get called in to work with storming teams more than any other kind of team. I'm right? not surprised. I, trust, trust me, the performing <laughs> teams never call and say, we need some help. Yeah. Um, but I get lots of calls for storming teams. So here's what's interesting. My experience is when a team is in storming, one of four things generally happens. Mm. The first thing is, the leader or somebody outside of the team decides, oh, we better disband this team and start over. There's something wrong here. And the only reason they're disbanding is because of the conflicts that are emerging. And so it doesn't work so well because what happens is we create a new team and guess what? They're also going to hit the storming stage. Now, storming doesn't always look the the same. Some storming teams... Um, are yelling and, you know, really raising their voices and being very adamant about things, very dominant with each other. And I've seen storming teams where they're very polite in their meetings and they walk out the door and it's all this whispering, did you see what he said? And I can't believe that. And so, right, so it can be very underground or it can be very visible. It's all storming. Interesting. And so to recreate a team, get a new team together just because a team is storming, is a waste of time and resource, quite honestly. Now, the reality is if you get a team moving along and you realize you've put together the wrong skill sets because the work is different than what you thought, 
then certainly you need to change the membership. But to change the membership just because they're not getting along, not a good strategy. So that's a key distinction for us as leaders is just because we're hitting conflict does not mean we don't have the right people. I mean, if we really don't have the right people in the room, skill set wise, obviously make a different decision, right. but but not to stop just because people are having conflict um, exactly. because that that's part of the process. It is part of the process, right? We've got to learn how to manage that. So that's the first thing I see happen. The second thing is pretty interesting. Um, sometimes the conflict or struggles are really around relationship and interpersonal kinds of things. So, you know, we don't like each other. Our personalities just really rub each other the wrong way, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen happen again and again is people say, okay, then we just won't interact with one another. And individuals in the team start to just do their own thing independently. And, and we'll even say things like, okay, just a job. I did my part. I'm out of here. Um, looking around and everybody else has a ton of work on their plate and they're like, oh, five o'clock, I'm done. I'm going home. Or or even we'll say, oh, that mistake didn't happen on my watch. It was fine when I passed it on. So there's a, a denial that anybody else is part of what's happening. So this is kind of like what we talked about last week was a, a, a very then independent team, but without the teamwork elements where people don't really feel connected to each other or even care very much about the other person's performance. It's just, it's me, I'm going to do my piece and I'm done. Yeah. And the problem is sometimes that happens in a team that really is interdependent that needs to work together, mm. but they don't. So I just do my part and pass it on to you and you're just stuck with whatever I send you and I'm not interested in participating. Got it. And so what we call those teams are do-good teams because they are doing work. And so... I've seen countless teams and organizations that are do-good teams, and they're really allowed to last, to exist for quite a while, Dave, because they're actually producing work. The challenge is the quality of the work produced by that team, as you can imagine, when everybody's independently doing their thing versus a team that is interdependent and sharing their experiences and sharing their ideas and brainstorming together and building off one another another's ideas, the quality difference in the output is dramatic. Mm. And so we can get along for a while, but at some point, the organization is not going to be happy with that lack of quality. Um, either they notice it, in which case they might decide to outsource your department, or it starts getting noticed by customers who start going to the competition. Oh, interesting. Our product gets out too late. Our product has bugs in it or problems with it. And so people aren't buying our product. That's a going out of business strategy to keep do good teams and organizations. So real, real consequences money-wise for not addressing this yeah. um, and revenue-wise and success-wise. Yeah. The hard part about it, leaders always say, okay, so if I got to do good team, what do I do about it? The problem is the only path out of do good is back through storming. Uh, I can't jump from do good to norming. I have to go back to storming. And so we've got to go back and face what are the issues, what's keeping us from interacting. And in this case, it's interpersonal stuff. So we're going to have to deal with style differences and personality differences and strengths and so on. So we need to do some work around that to get out of it. And is it a fair assessment that if you have been at the do do good stage for a while, that probably that's going to be a harder 
conversation to have. That might be something where you really do need to bring in some an outside facilitator, someone yeah. to kind of work through that and make people aware of what are some of the patterns they've fallen into. And you're really going to have to invest some time. It's not going to happen like, okay, let's have a meeting and that'll fix it, right? You're going to need some time to get that sorted out. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because you've had that happen where someone, I, I you've shared with me before, where like someone's been in this situation or a team for 10 years and they, you know, have you come in for an hour <laughs> or a couple hours and expect that that's really going to change. Yeah. And that's, that's just not realistic. That's just not realistic. And so, um, yeah. And, and you'll, I'll also get teams that have been storming for a long time who are not willing to do the work. So I'll help them see where they are. We'll look at these stages and they'll all agree that they're storming or that they're out in do good land, as I call it. And then not willing to spend the time and energy to actually try and sort past it. Or, or quite honestly, sometimes the baggage they have and the hate that they've created in, in those teams has gone on so long they really are not something I can salvage. Maybe somebody else can, but my experience is there are some that are too far down the road. That's mm, too bad. It is. It's very too bad. So so one option is uh, you know a team could disband. The second is that we fall into kind of this trap of this do-good yep. mentality pattern. Um, you mentioned there were two other outcomes, yeah. though, so, so of the story. Yeah. So, so the third one is... Um, now it's a task issue, not a relationship issue. And so you and I, everybody in the team, we love each other. We, our kids all play soccer together. We, when we come to work, we all start our day with a cup of coffee together. We go and have beer after work. I mean, we just love each other. Yeah. High performing team, right? Right. Except <laughs> if we start talking about the work, we don't, we can't because we don't agree on how to do the work and we don't know how to have a conversation about that. So we become what's called a feel-good team. And I tell you, I was on a feel-good team. I still have a picture of those people in my office. It was so much fun. But they don't last long in organizations, of course, because they really aren't producing work. And so those get found out and we disband or we do something different to, to fix that issue generally. Interesting. So um, is there a way to recognize either as a member team or even probably more importantly, leader of a team, if you've fallen into that trap and can you do something about it if you have? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we're not producing work the way we need to and everybody's having a lot of fun, we might step back and, and need to take them again. You've got to go back to the storming stage and deal with the where are we differing. And got it's it. probably around the goal or the roles or the processes that we're using to do our work. Um, and we got to sort that stuff out. And again, if you as a leader can't do that, you may need to bring somebody in to help have those conversations. Got it. And uh, okay, so what's the fourth outcome? I'm fourth one the fourth... is deal with it. Deal with the oh, storm. None of, these, none of these are good options. Deal with the storm. <laughs> and you know what? The earlier you deal with it, the easier it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of joking here, but I'm also being, like, none of these four are comfortable. No, that's exactly right, Dave. Like, even the best option as far as dealing with it, which is really what should be done, that is not comfortable to do. And, and it is not fun to deal with. No. And if you're conflict averse to begin with, then it's really a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and so a couple of things besides dealing with it in the storm, here we are in the storm, let's deal with it. A really good job of the forming stage reduces the chances of having a difficult storming stage. Oh. Because if we do some good work around clarifying purpose, clarifying roles, really laying out how we're going to do our work, and spending some time building relationships among our team members and helping people understand how we're each unique and how we each contribute to the team with our different personalities and really get a communication process in place, 
then it's much easier as differences and conflicts come up, we can just get them on the table and start talking about it. Or we can go back and say, wait a minute, is this a roles issue? Or is this a, you know, are we not clear on our objectives? Or, oh, this looks like a process we didn't talk about. Let's step back and talk about that. So it doesn't have to be horrible and ugly and awful at all. Um, and as a leader, if you'll do a really good job forming your team, this stage will be far easier for you to manage your way through. So you're going to go through it regardless, but you can make your life and your team's life a lot easier if you've done some of that groundwork on the front yeah. end. So so, um, so a good warning for us then is not to just kind of gloss over or skip the forming stage of really yeah. to spend some time there of thinking through all those things. And if you do, hopefully you really minimize some of the the need to have a lot of those rough patches later on. Yeah. And what's hard in today's world, we feel so pressed. The deadlines are so short. People say, I, we don't have time to have those conversations. Trust me, you don't have time to not have those conversations. And in today's world where we have so many re remote teams, so we've got teams spread all over the world, we also are not doing as good a job forming those teams you know, we have our conference calls and we start talking about the work immediately instead of stepping back, making sure everybody knows who everybody is, uh, doing some video work so that we can see each other and really talking about our purpose and our roles and those kinds of things. And so, unfortunately, we skip it more often than we probably used to because we think we don't have time to do it. And th this is a, it's so many types of things we do in organizations. There is this bias of, if we're not producing something or quote unquote working, that we're not doing right. something of value. And of course, as you've articulated, spending the, the spending the time planning and having dialogue and 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 really thinking through these things is work, is especially great work yes. for leaders to do and important work. And if it's done well, it produces real results for the organization long term. Occasionally, I get called into work with a brand new forming team, and oh, it's just so fun to say, oh, you guys are so smart to start and spend a little bit of time talking about this, and it's really fun to get them off on the right foot. Hmm, cool. Well, speaking of which, you mentioned something uh, earlier in the conversation, which is a real issue that does happen in almost every team and every organization. You use the word reorganization. And um, of course, I, I can't think of an organization I've worked with that hasn't had change. And of course, even in, a, in an organization that doesn't have a reorganization, people leave teams, people leave organizations, new people come onto teams as the work changes or expands. What kinds of things do we need to think about as far as these four stages when there is a change? Maybe the team leader changes or maybe a, a member leaves or comes in or the team expands. What, what do we want to be thinking about then? You know, what's, what's interesting is we often in teams, when that's going to happen or when that is happening, we just make assumptions about how things will be going forward. So let's imagine that um, I'm leaving the team and you're joining the team. And so everybody will start to assume that you, Dave, will do the same stuff I did. And in fact, in the same way. Uh, I don't care how similar you and I are. We're not going to do that. We're going to be different. And so the team's going to be disappointed. And so will we individually, right? And so it really is important to revisit roles and all of those things when there's changing membership. Now, sometimes it's a swap out like that, but sometimes we add a new member or we just lose one altogether. And we need to get some clarity around who's picking up that work or what's this new person going to do. And we just don't often do that well. Um, and so 
you can either, what happens is if we don't handle that well, we'll just get dragged back down into the storm, right? Assuming uh, we're a normative okay. performing team. And so your better bet as a leader, let's imagine you haven't left and just you've had changing membership. As a leader, pull that team back together, including the new members or whoever's now part of the team. And you can have a very quick forming conversation. It might just be an hour long. Let's recommit what are our goals and where are we in our objectives. Let's get clear again about the roles, what's going to change based on the membership changes. How are we operating together? If there's new people, bring them up to speed on how we manage conflict and so on. And we can zip right back up to norming or performing or wherever oh, we were before. But by being proactive and deliberate about it, then we, we put everybody in a space where we're past assumptions and that kind of thing. So you proactively go back to the beginning. Yes. So you aren't... Um, forced back over a long time to really right. get back to the beginning and then have to really do the hard work to work through That's that right. whole process again. So much more efficient and effective to just proactively say, hey, oh, we're reforming. Let's go have a meeting. And, and, it, and I think about this too. I've been involved in many teams over my career where that has that exact thing has happened. People have done good work and, and a team is doing, you know, norming stage at least. And then something changes and there's never really much, there's an email sent out. You know, so-and-so were changing roles and never really much dialogue or conversation about what's going to be different. And then that team's performance does tend to it slide does. over time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how about um, the leader changes? So the leader change, if, if the leader's gone for a while, then the members need to have some conversation about what does this mean for us and who's doing what. But more than that, if, if you come into a team as a new leader... Because that's what, you know, the leader leaving is probably not too worried. The new one coming in is find out where the team is and what, what they need from you. If you're coming into a team that's in storming, what you need to be doing for that team is probably really different if they're high performance. And if you come in and treat them like they're a forming team and they're a high performing team, they're not going to be very happy be and you're going to impact their productivity negatively and so really to have an open conversation about you know what's happening in the team can you tell me where you are in terms of your stage of development you could even have that conversation right um, what role do you see me playing how can I be most helpful to you and so on um, I've even done it where we just put a flip chart on the wall the leader's job is and the leader's job isn't and have the conversation about that so we can get some clarity. Um, it's interesting how sometimes just that simple, some simple distinctions like that in an open forum can really go a long way in helping people to figure out what's expected and to work through those that process more effectively. Yeah. Or even if I came in as a, a new leader, I'd say, okay, everybody, why don't you come together? I just need you to help me help you. So, and I'd ask them, what are your goals? How do you operate together? How, how have you determined roles? Are there any concerns there? So I'd just ask them the forming questions, assuming that they know the answers. And then as I get that, that would help me know a little bit about where they are and what they need. So there's lots of ways to approach it. Just be aware that the change is going to impact the team in some way and change the dynamics. Help me help you. Exactly. Just like Jerry Maguire, Exactly. Right? Good old Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I can't help but think of that every time I hear that. Help me help, help you. Help you. Um, okay. So I, so this is great, Susan. I mean, I, I really love the perspective you brought to this. I've had so much to, to consider and think about. Um, I think the only thing we haven't hit on is, okay, what, say we've got an attack team. They're doing pretty well. The organization says to the team, your statement of work, your goal for this team, your uh, client has changed. 
then what? You know, we've got this team that's working so well together, but the, the, the what the team is doing has suddenly changed. Yep. And so the team needs to go back to forming again. Same thing, huh? Yeah. And, it, and it won't take them long, but they but there are going to be some probably role changes and so definitely some objective changes so to go back and say, okay, let's get this all figured out so we can just zip right into place and get right back where we were again. And, you know, that happens a lot. Yeah. Well, this uh, I know you have this conversation with pretty much every team you work with uh, yeah. to, to really understand this model and this resources. And one of the things that, you know, we talked about this on last week's show, but I want to highlight it again, is that, um, you know, Susan and Susan's uh, partner, David Hutchins, have really done an amazing job of putting together a team, a, a group of resources and training materials for facilitators and trainers and organizations. And so, um, you know, one of the things that happens a lot of the times is, um, you know, someone will say, you know, a leader will recognize they really want to do some of this good work around getting a team together. Yeah. And they'll go to, you know, their internal re or their HR department or something like that. And they'll say, okay, what do you have? And people, you know, people say, well, you know, we don't really have anything like that. Or, you know, we've, um, you know, we could develop something and it just, it just never really ends up happening. Um, you've created this great, you know, suite of materials that is great. You can, if, if you have someone in your organization that has some experience of training and facilitating, and they can take the content, the materials, and utilize it. And it's it's done really well. It's fairly inexpensive. Um, it's it's much more cost efficient than bringing in a, mm -hmm. a, a you know a trained facilitator. There are times to do that, by the way. And and Susan, you do that, and you do brilliant yeah. work on that. Um, but this is a this is a, a resource to check out. So it's at goteamresources.com. And maybe you could say a little more about that, Susan, of just what you know what what's offered and what's there yeah. that people may want to tap into. Yeah, we have 18 different topics and the and they're just 2 to 3 hours each. You know, it's hard to get a team to spend more than a couple of hours and so you can, you know, decide what they need and grab, you know, we'll send you the participant books and you get your facilitator guide and you you guide them through. It's it's learner centered, so the concepts and exercises and ideas are in their participant guides. Uh, it's highly facilitated. It's very much about applying what they're learning to their work. So the the last piece in every single module is, okay, what do we as a team need to do now, next week, and in the future? And so the team makes action plans around it. Several of the modules, they bring a real conflict. They bring a real decision they have to make. They bring a real problem they're trying to solve. So as they learn a process, they also really are working through something real as a team. So it's quite practical. Um, and it's a roadmap for doing this. And it's a roadmap. That, that's one of the things I, I find with a lot of leaders is, um, okay, they, they recognize this. They, okay, I know I need to put some effort into creating my team and to get him from the... A lot of people have heard this forming, storming yeah. you know, process. I don't know where to start. And so this is a great way to start. If you have you know someone in your organization who uh, has some expertise in training, facilitation, uh, this is you know a whole map a roadmap that's there and, and ready to go and uh, and really easy to tap into. So check it out, goteamresources.com. Um, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes as well too. So those of you get the weekly update, will get that automatically in your email box on Wednesday. And Susan mentioned this last week. You're also, also the author um, with Linda Behrens of the book, the I in team. So if this is something that's really resonated with you and you want to get even more into depth on some of the uh, strategies, the theories, the processes that, you know, Susan's articulated here and really do some good thinking on that, I'd really recommend that book. It's a wonderful resource as well. Susan, I am uh, just so grateful for you taking the time over the last two weeks to come in and to uh, really provide a great 
overview for us as leaders of what we need to be thinking about as far as forming teams. And thank you for all you've done to help our, our clients and organizations and facilitate them. I mean, you're just such a, a gifted uh, trainer facilitator. And I know, um, I know people are going to really uh, get a lot of value out of listening to this conversation today. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. It's fun for me to just sit and dialogue with you about this stuff. I obviously care about this stuff. I think it makes a difference. And so it's it's fun to be able to get it out to some more people to be thinking about and hopefully, you know, help some of those teams that are struggling out there. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. I don't know about you, but one of the things I'm often struck by whenever I bring on someone who has an expertise in a particular area is how much we can really benefit from by being proactive on a few things up front with our leadership, with our management skills, with our people skills. And by doing that, we can really receive quite a substantial return in the long run. And I know with many teams, the tendency for many of us who have been a part of teams or managed teams or uh, had the privilege to be involved with many teams over the years is that we tend to be more reactive. So we hit these points where we go through the storming phase and when we get there, then we start to think, how are we going to manage this? And I'm, I'm just really uh, struck by how much there is that we can really do proactively uh, from this conversation. And so my question for all of us this week is what's one action you can take to be more proactive with your team's development rather than reactive? And I would love it if you would take a moment to answer that question up on the show notes for this episode, and you can get there at coachingforleaders.com slash 139. And of course, those of you who get the weekly updates on email will get that link to the show notes, and you can join the conversation there as well. Um, And as always, I'd love to hear, and I know Susan would as well, any comments or additions you have to our conversation today. And of course, if you do have comments, questions, or feedback about the show in general, the best way to submit that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you can always send me a comment or question. And I do have uh, just a moment here for one question this week from Chris, who visited that website link. Uh, Chris emailed me and said that uh, he's been involved in a management position for a number of years now, and now he's received a job proposal to work on another project in a much more advanced role. And he says, as you can understand, I feel really flattered and at the same time a bit confused as to whether or not I'm ready for this next step or not. Now my question is, what do I need to do to take in consideration and what can I do to take confusion away? And what kind of training will assist me to in uh, my conquest to become a senior leader? Well, Chris, thanks for the question and congratulations on being on being selected or at least considered for this new opportunity. It sounds like an exciting, uh, exciting next step for you. And the one thing I'll say, I, I have a few thoughts for you and a few resources. Um, the one thing I'll say up front is I don't know anybody who was fully prepared for their next leadership role or for more responsibility. And so if that is the one thing holding you back is feeling like you don't know it all and you have fear that you don't have everything figured out yet, that is how it should be. Uh, I, I think it's um, you know it's it's very concerning to me when I see people, and I, I don't run into this a lot, but I see people going into a 
leadership role and they feel like they've got it all figured out already and they know exactly what they need to do. And I think uh, I think some fear and some just what am I going to do is healthy. And so uh, so if you have that, that's normal and know that that's, that's good because that'll push you in new ways. So here's a few suggestions for you, Chris. Um, first of all, and this is something that might be helpful to others too. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the show or not. But there's a lot of resources on the Coaching for Leaders website. All the podcasts, articles, everything I've done over the last few years is there. And there's a pretty easy way to reference those. Um, and Chris, in particular, I would suggest that you take a look in the new leader section of the website. So for those of you who want to know how to navigate the website, if you go to it, coachingforleaders.com, go about halfway down the page on your right, you're going to see a little box that says, what's most helpful to you right now? There's a whole bunch of topics listed there. Chris, one of them is new leader. If you click on that, it's going to automatically pull up all the articles, interviews that I've done in the past of things that I think are most important for new leaders. So I would definitely check that out because I think that'll give you a bunch of resources to get started with. A couple of specific resources that um, that I know of that I think would be really helpful to you. One of them is a book that, and a, a, disclosure on, a disclosure on this is I have not read this book. Normally, I don't recommend books I haven't read, um, but I've heard enough good things about this book and Bonnie has read it and has said very good things about it. A book called The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins, it essentially is a framework for how to walk through that first three months of your uh, your new role. And uh, I think it'd be a framework that'd be really, really helpful for you, Chris. So that would be something to check out. Another suggestion would be uh, is to check out the book by Pam Fox Rollin. And you uh, may remember if you've been listening to the show uh, for this long, Pam was on a show. I'm just looking up the episode number here. She was on episode 98, Five Rules for Your New Leadership Role was the name of the show, but her book is 42 Rules for Your New Leadership Role. So that might be a good resource too. Um, that uh, is, It's a really solid book and it is aimed at more senior leaders. So if that is something that you're considering, I would check that out. That'll give you a lot of places to start thinking about uh, for framework as far as things you'd want to be thinking about just in the initial stages. Uh, but the other thing that I would encourage you to do, Chris, is just to spend some time listening and going out and taking time to hear what people are saying in your organization. So as you are are either considering or moving into this new role, before you spend a lot of time getting up on training and helping yourself to become skilled in new areas and learning new things that you'll need to do in this role is I would start off by just listening a bunch. Um, I've always found that to be really helpful when moving into a new role and the people I've worked with have often found that to be very helpful um, is to spend the first couple of weeks just going and making, uh, spending time talking to new peers, certainly your 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 managers, um, and also talking to people that'll be on your team and just spending time listening, finding out what is going on uh, find out what's needed, find out what what has worked in the past, what's not working. Uh, that would be a great place to start. So I would really encourage that. Um, I did I did also wrote an article uh, a while back uh, on this, so I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm, I don't have it off the top of my head. So that would be something I'd certainly suggest to do, Chris. And then once you get to the point where you feel like you have a pretty good idea of what's currently going on in the organization and how your skills line up with that, then that would be the point where I'd start thinking about, okay, what is 
maybe some training, some coaching. What are the things that I'm going to need as a leader that are going to support me and support my team in getting there? So that I would do first. And then as far as actual training, you know, Dale Carnegie has some wonderful uh, wonderful training all over the world that would potentially be helpful. Uh, I'm still putting together this course for the Coaching for Leaders community. I, I haven't mentioned it much recently, and I'm still working on it. So that's coming in the not too, too distant future. So that might be a resource for you too. But um, but that hopefully is helpful. So I'm going to put all the links there in the notes, Chris. Um, you know, Let me know what you decide to take action on from that and keep us in the loop and let us know if you do move into that new role. And uh, you know, we're going to be here to support you regardless. And uh, so thanks for, thanks for taking the time to reach out. And also a thank you this week to those of you who have subscribed to the weekly update. I publish a email each Wednesday. So if you'd like to get the notes and the links to everything that I mention and guests mention on the show each week, um, you know, that's something I find really helpful. <laughs> Personally, the reason I put this together kind of selfishly is uh, I I listen to podcasts and and one of the things I'd love to have is to get you know notes every week of shows that I listen to and I never get that because I like many of you I don't listen to podcasts in front of my computer usually I'm on the road or working out or running errands or something like that or heading to meetings and uh, and I I'd love to get copies of the notes later well that's exactly what comes every Wednesday on email so if you'd like to get a copy of the show notes plus uh, the article that I've written each week which will help you human relations wise communications wise or personal productivity you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and that will get you onto uh, that uh, subscription for each week it does come on Wednesdays and thank you to David Wissor Cameron Thompson. Thank you also for the email, Cameron. Joseph Silva, Tara Pickett, Victor Kamaskou, Scott Ambrose, Mary Underwood. It was great seeing you again this week, Mary. Heidi Palale, Sean Severson, Sarah Stugal, Stuga, Charlie Griffiths, Jane Muzanski, Denise Williams, Douglas Farrell, Victor Arandondo, and Nathan Nelson. Thank you for all of you for subscribing this week. And uh, and if you subscribe, you also get a uh, a link to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. So uh, definitely check that out as well. And a very special thank you this week to Jonathan for the great review you posted on iTunes. Jonathan, Jonathan thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And Jonathan mentioned in his review that, you know, he feels like some of the things on this show are, he doesn't have the capacity to do right now, but are very aspirational in nature. And and Jonathan, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I think that this can get overwhelming. There's a lot to learn around leadership. And, you know, Chris had mentioned this in his question, you know, we feel overwhelmed and we don't necessarily feel like we're capable of doing all this. And, you know, the thing I challenge all of us to do is take one thing from this show, each week, each interaction, each experience you have as a leader and improve upon that. And if you're better tomorrow than you were yesterday, then you're on the right path. Hey, have a great week, everyone, and look forward to talking with you again next week. Take care.